brands deserve their iconic status quite like Italian powerhouse Gucci. Born in Florence in 1921 by Guccio Gucci, the label has become one of the world's most recognizable luxury brands and this year celebrates a centenary of innovative fashion and design. To look at how Gucci sees its future as it turns 100, I was joined by its CEO since 2015, Marco Pizzari, down the line from New York. Pizzari took the helmet Gucci after stints at Stella McCartney, Bottega Veneta and Caring, where he was known for his sharp business acumen and talent management. His lookout for both the Gucci brand and the industry today is one of determined optimism. For Bizzari, there is no option to lead without it. He tells us why Gucci's core strategy is one of embracing change and how creative director Alessandro Michele is crucial to this. Plus, why brand Italy remains vital to Gucci's identity and why its most recent collaboration with the Savoy Hotel won't be its last. From Zurich, I'm Tyler Brule, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. Marco, very good to talk to you. I'd like to start with a bit of a trip down memory lane. Let's say it's 30 years ago. I'm on Sloan Street, and there's this Gucci loafer moment happening. It was probably the first time I started to really relate to a luxury brand. And there was, of course, there was a lot of heat surrounding this. Everyone wanted this brown loafer. It had this gold snaffle. It had gone matte at that point. And I'm wondering if you could maybe describe the evolution and tell us What moment do you think you found within luxury? Of course, there's been many Gucci moments over the last 30 years, but where where do things stand now? You know, I always start from the fact that, I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. The thing that I I had in my mind together with Alessandro when I joined Gucci back in 2015 is like I was seeing a little bit fashion, like kind of an old lady that is getting a little bit bored. And there was a kind of a detachment, especially from the young generation to this industry. Because if you go back seven years ago, I mean, we were talking about millennia, but in reality, this business was not certainly fueled by them. There was certainly a big opportunity for a brand like ours, which has been uh, up and down in the last 30 years. There were moments extremely booming and solid uh, in in the the first era. And then there was a moment where you almost went bankrupt, where Investcorp uh, came in. And then uh, Domenico and Tom, they were able to to do the renaissance of Gucci at at the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s. And then there was a kind of stabilization of the business, and then we start again. I think this brand has this kind of characteristic of reinventing itself uh, very, very often. It's very different if you want from other players in the industry that has been more consistent throughout the years. Uh, but I think this could be either a weakness or uh, as well a great opportunity because this uh, kind of flexibility that Gucci has allows you to really think in a different way, reinvent yourself um, whenever you want. It doesn't mean necessarily it's going to be successful, but certainly there's a possibility. And this is very much in the mind of the people working in Gucci. So back in 2015 with Alessandro, we really wanted to, to make a kind of a big change, a big bet on the aesthetic and on the business model, and we were successful. And uh, we've continued to, to, to evolve that. Uh, you were mentioning the loafers. Loafers have been up and down, present and not present. I think it's very much the way in which you present them, the kind of value you give to them and, and how you protect them throughout the, the, their life. So uh, ideally, we would like to, to maintain this kind of um, no, uh, success uh, longer than in the past. And I think we are, we are making a good job. And this is due to the fact that we, the protection that we have for the brand and the fact that we are not aiming to short-term results, but we are really trying to build the brand for a very, very long term. So to do so, you need to have uh, people around you that, that think in the same way, that are willing to take risks and able to reinvent themselves. 
the evolution of the brand uh, made by Alessandro aesthetically has been quite dramatic, always uh, with references to the past, but always thinking about the present. So uh, the, the kind of contamination that you, uh, you had the chance to have uh, from uh, the previous year, from uh, Tom, from uh, Demna, uh, from everything that has been uh, has been uh, uh, has been done previously in Gucci, with all the references to the iconic uh, signs of Gucci, etc., uh, revisited by Alessandro as usual in in a very contemporary way to make sure that the present matters, gave a new for me a new impulse to the story of Gucci, to the life of Gucci that will uh, shape the next. Uh, the next year for sure. We are always uh, on our toes uh, in, the, in, in this brand that we cannot certainly be complacent. And I think the results are giving us, um, you know, a good, a good uh, support to continue to, to do in this way for the future. Marco, can you just maybe take us back to this moment that you did identify and you talked about maybe, you know, the, the slightly older lady who was a little bit, you know, bored, was looking for new areas of, of distraction. And of course, this was also maybe about the old lady finding her youth, identifying youth as a market. And this is something which you, you've done incredibly well. Do you think of a core, core consumer and in that youth space? So, so when you're sitting down with your CEO hat, which you're wearing every day, and when you are, are looking at communication plans, when you're, of course, looking at obviously where collections are going, etc., that there is, yeah, this one core customer who might be 27, 31, 19 in your mind. How, how do you look at it? Because the stewardship that you've had as, as a CEO is really remarkable within this space. Listen, this is a good question. It goes, it goes back to the moment in which we started with Alessandro, this, this journey. I think our, our core customer is, and, and I don't, don't laugh about that, is the human being. It's not a matter of age. It's not a matter of, you know, mindset. It's, it's not a matter of uh, gender, sexual preferences, geographical um, prominence. It's very much someone that is want to be himself or herself, I mean, in his, um, in his own way. I mean, being enhanced in the self-expression that is in, in everybody of us. So that's the reason why we were able to resonate to different segments. At the beginning, um, I mean, the, the shift was quite dramatic because we were able to intercept this trend of, of the young generation that was able to see in what Alessandro was doing, all the authenticity and the passion that was behind that. But uh, frankly, we didn't really plan um, to address Gen Z or millennia where we started. We really wanted to do something that was not present in being extremely consistent with the value of Gucci, seen through the eyes of Alessandro and putting together what was happening outside in the streets. Alessandro the other day was saying something that was for me extremely interesting to listen from him is that Alessandro at a certain point uh, reintroduced uh, the message of gender fluidity, uh, in, especially in the first show in January 15. And what he said, I didn't invent anything. I was just walking in the streets and I was watching what was happening with um, people that tell me they don't want to be framed in, in any kind of rule or whatever. They can buy men right to wear, they can buy women right to wear, independent from the gender they come from. And the word intersecting something was happening. It was not inventing anything. And the fact that he's able to, you know, to match the values of the company together with what's happening outside is, is what, I mean, in the, in the past, all the marketing guru writing books, they were called positioning. Uh, this is coming in a more natural way, but it's exactly what happened in the, in the mind of Alessandro when they decided to go in that direction aesthetically back in 2015. And he's continued to do so. And, and the change that he's, he's doing now with Aria, with the aesthetic of Aria, it is reflecting exactly the same kind of thought. 
not too much focus group, not too much asking consumer what they want. For the most part, consumer they they don't, they don't know exactly what they, what is going to happen, what they want in the future. It's something that you need to, in a way, propel by yourself and try to intercept in advance uh, to get this competitive advantage. That of course encompass a little bit of risk for sure because I mean you do something that maybe nobody has done in the in the, in the, in the past. Uh, but if the bet is good, the, the reward is, is very, very high. Marco, can you just maybe take us back to that, that moment of transformation? Had I walked into a, a store in the US, in, in Asia, and Europe at that time, what happened when you, of course, when you and Alessandro were, were thinking uh, potentially, of, of course, the, the, the change in mix and maybe the, the customer that, that you thought might be out there? What happened on price point? I'm just wondering, did, you know, was there also, because obviously there was a big shift uh, and you saw maybe a bit more elasticity uh, for, for the brand, maybe you would deem some of the items would have been more entry level. Did they come with entry level price points? Was that also part of the magic or did you stay? No, look at, we are a luxury brand. Uh, we, we could go down a little bit for some of these customers to get them in. And I, I know you don't want to give away any state secrets, but I think our probably our analysts and people who are listening to the show will be fascinated to know what had to happen on the shop floor, aside from, of course, great products. What happened was exactly the reverse. We never played low. The idea was to create, to continue to create products of extremely good quality and position in the right way. So the, the shift at the beginning was not strong in the sense that we continue to maintain the price position we had in the past. But pricing-wise, I mean, the situation I mean, improved. I mean, the average price that is, has been... Uh, uh, sold today is higher than it was in 2015, but is certainly higher than it was in 15. And actually, we didn't play entry prices. Certainly, uh, because of the size of the brand, we have a, a span of pricing that goes from, uh, uh, as you called, entry price point to a much higher price point that has been uh, very much the strategy that we're building in the last few years. And with the introduction of the high watching, high jewelry, with the possibility to, you know, to give the, the full spectrum of the great craftsmanship that is uh, part of the values of the company. But again, um, we certainly not play with the price and the enterprise and try to uh, reduce pricing when we started our journey. Uh, Gucci is a part of the luxury arena of this industry. We want to play in that arena. And, and by consequence, the price point that we are using reflect totally the quality that is utilized to make our products. And we, we continue to uh, protect that because this is the value of the company. I caught up with some of your colleagues a couple of months ago. We were trading notes, talking about how the world was reopening while other places were still locked down. I'm speaking to you uh, from Zurich. You're on the other side of the Atlantic uh, in, in New York uh, today. Tell me, and I know it's very difficult, but how, how do you see the world? How do you see the state of, of the market right now? Because you know, we were all sort of led to believe that, and, and actually results at the end of 2020, there was this little luxury up- uptick. We saw that. And it seems if we, yeah, if we talk to lots of brands are having a pretty decent, you know, year out of, out of 2021. But if you, if you look forward, maybe you're an optimist, maybe you're the pessimistic CEO. How does the landscape look for you, especially Marco, from a recovery point of view, when you're looking at your daily takings of, of your stores? First of all, I, I'm in the optimistic side of the CEOs. I mean, certainly, I mean, you cannot be a CEO pessimistic. I mean, you should change your job if you are. As you said, I think I would have signed to have these results uh, back in 2020. I mean, in, in 2021, I think the rebound that has been 
happening in, in the industry has been quite remarkable in a very different way versus the past if you compare to the business that we had in 2019. I mean, the location of the business we had in 2019, the location of the business we had in 2021 is totally different because, I mean, Europe, of course, uh, slow down dramatically because of the tourism, but uh, there was a rebound in terms of uh, local consumers. China and the US are totally flying, I mean, uh, with, uh, with data that are quite incredible. Japan slowing down a little bit because of the COVID and all the rest. Southeast Asia almost in lockdown, still in lockdown for, for the most part. So I think what we learn from this um, experience is that flexibility are a, a certainly a great value that you need to have as a business company and, and the way in which you allocate products according to the moments and the way in which you manage your warehouse and supply chains become absolutely key. And the other point that could be, could be raised is that uh, this situation just um, accelerated trends that were happening. Think about this digitalization, and not just in terms of e-commerce spending, but also in terms of people that they, they prefer to have a, a kind of a more digitalized work. The personalization, that is, the more you have the possibility to have a contact one-to-one with the client. I mean, if I go back to the Gucci journey uh, starting in 2015, we were benefiting uh, dramatically from the, tu- the tourist flows and the fact that I mean, it was more a transactional business, especially in Europe. So we didn't have certainly, I mean, as a focus, they, they think of you know, creating a long-term uh, relation with, with certain clients. Why now, after the virus kicked in, we were obliged to do so. And certainly this is a great value for the future to create this kind of relationship and attachment to the brand that is going to be helping us to be even more solid when the virus will, will go away. So personalization of the offering with remote selling and one-to-one is becoming more and more important. The trend of sustainability, I think we see that, I mean, everything that is related to our world is going to impact us in a way or the other. So we cannot pretend of being in, in, insulated. And, and we need to make sure that we all, all of us are going in the same direction for one thing or for the other. The single individual doesn't do anything if it's not together with the others. So having said so, I think that impacted, um, I mean, accelerated all the value that we wanted to create back in the years with Alessandro in terms of putting the people at the center of our strategy. That was uh, the, from the very beginning what we wanted to do and created through the 2020 this uh, attention from our side more than from a business standpoint. So we were quite reluctant in, in pushing commercially, either from a communication standpoint and from an event standpoint, our business, because we really wanted to make sure that our people were safe, sustained, because we thought that was the moment to show that uh, when, we, when you talk about people, about culture and all the rest, it's not just empty words that you uh, use when the business goes well and when you grow like 30, 40% a year. The real question is what happened to these values and to these words when you are face a moment of crisis like we had in 2020. As a strategy, we, we walked the talk in 2020. And I think today, the company from a cultural standpoint, from the attachment uh, from the people that we have in the company, in a much, much better position than we were in 2019. And because our people, they're giving back to us what we gave to them throughout the, throughout the pandemic in protecting them, in protecting their job, in protecting their salary in the long term. The value that you are able to instill in, in the minds of your people is uh, the one that is going to be winning. And I see that today because, I mean, it's even easier now to attract people in Gucci because of what the culture is about. 
So I'm very proud of it. Going forward, uh, to go back to the last part of your question, how do I see the future? I think this industry will continue to have an injection of um, customers uh, coming from um, especially Asia, but not only. Uh, in all this um, uh, middle class, upper class, I think it's going to be, uh, especially middle class in China, it's going to continue to be fueled going forward. And the attention to interesting brands, quality, fashion, etc., will continue. So if we are able to play the game in the right way, I think the, the industry will continue to grow. But the industry will continue to grow. It doesn't just depend from the number of consumers that you have in the industry, but also from the way in which the brands and the company will uh, play the game. Uh, and the only way for me to, to make sure that the company and the industry will remain interesting is to continue to, to bend in creativity and having the people around you that are, are able to subvert continuously the rules of the game and making talk and, and, and creating attention to what you do. Mark, you spoke at length right now also about, about of course, the, the importance of people, uh, the, one, the one-to-one experience, customization. These are all, they're quite labor-intensive. Uh, in, uh, these are skills. And as, as we know, it's people can do lots of seminars about the brand, etc. But selling is a real skill. I mean, this is this is a talent. I, I firmly believe that people are born with the selling gene. Uh, it's, you know, again, you can give them all of the, the brand attributes to talk about it. But of course, we all know that there is one person who walks onto a shop floor one day and, and they, can be, they can be transformative. If we speak to various CEOs at the moment, we do hear about a talent crisis that there is, no matter what a company's values are, it's very difficult, you know, whether it's in this quarter, whether it's rounding out 2021, shops having to reduce hours, restaurants having to close certain days just because there's there's not enough talent around. And, you know, you've got a full spectrum. You've got, of course, uh, maybe to worry about a talented uh, creative uh, director at the very top end, but you have of course, thousands of people have to get on the shop floor every day. Do you, do you see this as as a looming problem? And I guess the next part is, do we also have to attach maybe a different type of status around selling, the notion of being on a shop floor, that this is not just maybe oftentimes seen as an unskilled job in many markets, but this is something which is, I mean, it's the backbone to many brands, whether you're an airline, whether you're a luxury goods company, whether you're running a hotel. That is a, is a very good point and it's something that is happening across uh, different industries uh, right now. Again, I'm not sure that the culture of this doesn't play a role. I think the culture here plays a role. It depends from the culture and the people that are around and the way in which the, the, the shops are managed. It will make a difference in attracting or not clients. Certainly, there's a shortage uh, because of uh, many reasons. It can be the pandemic, the risk that you're running, being so exposed to other people coming coming to the to the restaurants or coming to the shops. It can be because of the stimulus that I mean created a situation where people they prefer to not to work and going somewhere else or, or, or taking other jobs. There are many many different reasons. I don't know if this uh, um, reason will. Um, fade away going forward or not, certainly the role of retail needs, needs to evolve. I mean, despite that, because it's not, uh, it's not, as you said, it's not something that you can really teach, it's something that is a talent. So to have a talent, if you want to special talent, you need to have a passion. If you need to have a passion, you need to have a visibility. If you, have, if you want to have a visibility, you need to have a career path in the shops or, or around the shop that allows you to express if you are interested all your curiosity, etc. So the way in which you, um, you you create this kind of um, uh, path, career path in, in the company, in the shops, across shops, uh, uh, or um, uh, in terms of mobility programs, for me, 
is the way forward if you want to maintain a healthy workforce in the retail business that is at the end you know the the last touch point uh, their real touch point uh, of our clients so the one that is going to reflect um, the brand values uh, certainly the consumer is going to remember the person that is going to selling uh, the product uh, instead of what i'm saying uh, uh, today in this podcast just uh, before we go we're coming to the end of our of our session with you Three rapid-fire questions. I'll start with maybe the, the most difficult one, but uh, that is one of of brand elasticity. How far can Gucci go? We've seen a lot of press just before going on air around your collaboration uh, in London, uh, working on a, a hotel suite, which has really garnered a lot of press through both traditional social channels, uh, etc. Now, of course, I see that as a marketing exercise. But I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, you're talking to the Marriott Group uh, while you're in the United States because there's going to be a whole hotel chain. But how, how far can you take it or, or do you have to still stick within a certain channel? You have to remain within a specific core, Marco. I'm not talking to the Mario just for the sake of <laughs> precision. You know what? All the collaborations we did until now, they're all, uh, we, I really believe that are extremely authentic and all, all of them driven by combination of attachment of values that we have together with the company, the brand or the artist that we are working with, starting from everything that Alessandro did in the, in the last six to five years. I think to me, the possibility of um, expanding the collaboration, the way in which the brand can be perceived are endless. There's no limit uh, whatsoever. It doesn't mean that necessarily they're going to bring a business case in many instances, but they can just create curiosity and attention to the brand that the, the brand approach the industry. And, and considering that, I think the the way in which Alessandro, um, from the very beginning, opened the brand to the eyes of artists, and he, he made more than like 150 collaboration with different artists, with different brands, uh, in order to make sure that there always was this kind of open mind approach to the view of of Gucci. Uh, so not just from his point of view, but also from the uh, you know the the war point of view. And in, in that context, we launched in, in September. Uh, the Vault, that is a platform uh, that for the first time, um, I think a brand like ours uh, had the chance to experiment, that is the possibility to present uh, in something that is um, in line with our values, in line with our um, creative director views and point of view, different designers uh, that want to sell and present themselves in, in the Vault that is powered by, by Gucci, um, but also collaboration with other brands in the world that is are able to you know to intercept what we feel is right and close and parallel to what we are doing so i think we are expanding and enhancing enhancing this um, this possibility to speak uh, in different ways in, in a concept that is completely new for for our industry for a brand of of our size and of our history the kind of attention that we got has been extremely extremely strong and extremely high because it's a different way to open the brand without, I mean, open the brand, because I mean, you are presenting something that is not necessarily done by you, but is just supervised and accepted by, by the brand. The possibility for the growth of a brand is, is endless, both in terms of openness to other um, you know, point of view or to other brands or to other artists. Uh, but on the other side, what I am totally confident is that the run is not finished for the core business, for the core brand, I think there's still a huge amount of opportunity that we can catch in developing and continue to develop as strong as we did in the past, our core uh, product categories. So again, going back to the 
question if I'm more pessimistic or optimistic, as, as you can imagine from this answer. I mean, more on the optimistic side going forward. Three brands uh, that you admire when you look out in, in the landscape, uh, in, in any sector, uh, you wake up every day, think, yeah, these guys have got it right, or this is, uh, it's coherent, I understand it. Uh, yeah, just uh, th- three brands you admire. One that is uh, Apple for sure, but is, uh, <laughs> that is the first question of everybody. That is good because everybody thinks the same. The other brand that I totally admire is James Patterson because I mean, he created the brand in writing books. <laughs> the guy is incredible. He's, he's, he's writing a book every 15 days. Um, the other one, you know what? Well, I admire as well Hermes. Hermes, because I think what has been what it did in the last decades, decades, it's been extremely, extremely coherent, and uh, they continue to be extremely, extremely coherent. And then uh, the fact that um, they play the game in, in a way that is, uh, you know, without compromise, and I like that. So even if we are not playing exactly in the same arena, in the sense that uh, our values are different and all the rest, I think what they are doing, what they did, has been extremely good. I like that. James Patterson and Hermes. Um, and this is the last question. Very, very easy. Does Italianness, does brand Italy still matter to Gucci? Here you are stretched between, I mean, largely on, of course, on the creativity side between Milan and, and Rome. Important or you know, could you easily also just ship off to Budapest as well? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think like, it, it, you know, the fact of being Italian for us is like oxygen. I mean, you, you don't realize you think you don't realize how much you need oxygen until you start having problems in breathing, right? So I think for us, being Italian is absolutely key. I mean, think about it. We have 95% of our production that is in Italy, and the other five is because we do watches in Switzerland. So I think we... We are lucky as a company, and this is totally part of the totally part of the of the values of the brand. Because I mean, we uh, the, the company was born in Florence in 1921. This, uh, this year is the 100th anniversary, and we in Italy is is you know we are surrounded by beauty, and uh, and there is a kind of a story of um, uh, passage of information of knowledge from artisan to artisan in all the laboratories that are surrounding Florence, but not just in Florence, in all Italy as a whole. That is something that cannot be replicated anywhere else. The, the fact that um, some product could be copied, I think, um, but they cannot be invented as we do in Italy because they, they, the way in which this knowledge has been, uh, you know, uh, stratifi- stratified in, in the last uh, in the last decades in Italy, starting from the Renaissance, is something that uh, is uh, is completely impossible to replicate anywhere in the world. And this kind of knowledge and and capability um, linked together with the creative mind that we have uh, in Gucci, but we have in Italy as a whole, um, I think, is able to to give uh, this uh, newness, this creativity, this impulse to this geniality that is is absolutely impossible to be replicated uh, anywhere. So for, uh, to, to answer your question, I mean, uh, we are Italian, we are proud to be Italian, and we will never uh, move somewhere else because, I mean, you know, the energy and the, the fuel that we have because of being part of this um, territory is, is the reason why we continue to be uh, at the edge of the innovation in the industry.
my thanks to Gucci CEO Marco Pizzari for this week's episode of The Chiefs. And if you'd like to see this interview and much more in print, the November edition of Monocle magazine is on newsstands now. This episode of The Chiefs was produced by Paige Reynolds and edited by Steph Chungu with the recording assistance of Desiree Bandley and Carlos Silberschmidt. I'm Tyler Brule. Thank you very much for listening. 